Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today with another episode of Page Chewing. So we have some very special guests. We'll get to them here in a minute. Uh, PL, did you want to start us off with some introductions? Oh, uh, PL Stewart, uh, author of the John Kingdom Saga, and honored to be one of the co-hosts with Steve of Page Chewing. Um, I think this is episode 30, I believe. Is this, is this 30? I think it's 30. 30. 31? 31? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's time flies. And yeah. um, we're extremely honored to have these fabulous guests today. I'm here, obviously, dear friend of the channel and fantastic, the, the beating heart behind uh, Fantasy Book Critic and um, uh, phenomenal breakout author, Grom Monty. You know, everybody is everybody's flashing Sons of Darkness all over there. You know, I, I get FOMO. I haven't gotten it yet. And everybody keeps holding up. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to get that book. So um, it's uh, amazing. So we're honored to have both of you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, uh, just for people who don't know, I'm Gaurav Monty. I'm the author of Sons of Darkness. And um, my Tinder profile says that I'm also a lawyer <laughs> and a stand-up comedy <laughs> on the side. <laughs> so, but I'm really excited to have this conversation, especially with Mihir, who's really helped my book reach the worldwide audience. So he's no. like the guardian angel, you know, the, the whole godmother factor in the Cinderella story. So I'm really happy to you know, join this conversation alongside him. Well, uh, that's totally false, A. Uh, and B, uh, hi, everyone. I'm here, want you. Uh, and... yeah. <laughs> OK, I think we're, I think it's, think we're settled down. So sorry, go ahead, Mia. I think it's a rival YouTube channel which has decided to hack your. <laughs> <laughs> There yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I'm here, Wanchu, uh, besides the interruption. Uh, and thanks to Steve and Paul for inviting me back over here. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm just a, I'm just a hanger on because it's all about Doro and his amazing book, The Sons of Darkness, which it is truly, truly, truly amazing. And I'm so glad you wrote this, Doro. So happy to and glad to be here. Thanks for having uh, so, how much does being a stand-up comic help your your law career? Does that help with with your humor and and that approach? Does that help with? No, I mean, I I mean, uh, basically it gives me source material for my jokes. No. I just go there and you know I can't really lash out at the judges, so I just make jokes on them and crack them on the stage. So it's it's the other way around, you know, not the. My stand-up comedy doesn't help my law career, but my law career helps my stand-up comedy. Hey, but also in India, there's a lot of, like, and you know, there's, there's this thing also, right? You know, stand-up comics often get into a lot of trouble because there's always yeah. people who are waiting to get offended. So it's like, you know, Goros, right. maybe, like, you know, he, he he might be passing along his cards before the show, like, you know, hey, to the other comics, like, you know, in case if you ever need <laughs> legal help. Yeah, because stand-up comedy is just not a, a, like a place or hobby for me. It's also like a, you know, a LinkedIn conference <laughs> where I just keep handing out my cards just in case anyone gets into trouble. But in fact, I mean, talking about trouble, my book itself is controversial in the sense because it's a reimagining of an ancient tale, uh, which certain right-wing groups, which you know we know it's across every country now, right now, might get offended with. But so far, I've been lucky uh, that no one has raised the whole ban Sons of Darkness thing yet. Uh, hmm. But let's see. I think I, I wouldn't mind it to be honest because from the trends that I've noticed, nothing makes a book more popular than <laughs> trying to ban it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to get attention. Uh, but we wanted to ask you about how cultural myths serve as a basis for modern storytelling. Right. I 
I believe that uh, cultural myths always play a basis for any kind of storytelling, primarily for two reasons. One is that uh, its appeal lies in a recognized form and structure, you know, which the readers recognize. Uh, be it the hero's journey, be it the orphan who turns out to be the chosen one, or the bastard or the lowborn who climbed in the ranks. Uh, I think these kind of tales have a timelessness to them uh, that appeal across millennia and across cultures. Uh, so, and the second thing about which I love about myths and cultural myths, for example, is the sense of adventure that they fill you with. Uh, I'm trying to imagine myself as this medieval sailor who's been asked to go and explore unknown lands. And I'm thinking, why would I do that? Because I think of the riches, the dragons, the creatures that I might encounter. These creatures who come from the tales that have been told to them and passed down generations. So I think mythology has a sense of adventure rooted within it that hmm. just appeals to us all the time. I mean, think about the fact that why do we... And, you know, we always associate mythology with something which was written thousands and thousands of years in the past. But I believe that even in this century, we're creating our own mythology. Harry Potter is sort of becoming a mythology for the next you know, generations mm. to come. Uh, and that's because of a sense of familiarity and comfort with that sort of world uh, that has been passed down. Uh, it's the same thing with modern family. The reason why we constantly keep rewatching it, it's because it's, it's this nostalgia and coziness that it provides us. I think that's why cultural myths come into picture, that uh, they are cozy and, you know, they take us on a ride of nostalgia. So once we build our stories on them, we are basically recycling content but adding on it a twist that appeals to the new readers. You know, it like collides the traditional worlds as well as new modern perspectives. I think that's what's fun about it. Sorry, was that too long a monologue? I'm a lawyer. <laughs> no, it's great. That's what that's what we're hoping for. So no, no worries there. We want to hear your perspective. So yeah, I find it fascinating that. Uh... Apparently, the, the Mahabharata, it, it, it's, I, we see all the, the Song of Ice and Fire paraphernalia and banners in the background, Gaurav. Um, you know, I haven't read uh, the Mahabharata, but it sounds very much like, you know, War of Succession, various Song of Fire-ish, um, uh, George R. R. Martin-ish. And is he one of your influences as well? I'm guessing so with all the, uh, the Stark and Targaryen banners in the background. Is, is that also one of your influences? Oh, absolutely. I mean, George R. R. Martin inspired me to start writing because uh, when I read it, I really wanted to read something similar set in an Indian world. And Yeah, you're muted though. Muted. <laughs> That's better, but you're muted. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Is this better? Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. <Back to laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. hate, I hate to do this to you, but can you repeat everything you just said? Because <laughs> we didn't hear you. <laughs> now you remind me of the judges I argued before. <laughs> but uh, I was just talking about like how Game of Thrones inspired me to write. So uh, there's a lot of my, I have kingdoms. There's a lot of political intrigue that takes place because that's what I wanted to bring down into our, um, uh, into a new story format. Because sometimes the way mythology is passed down, it becomes more like an encyclopedic article. Okay, I think the best comparison I can give is actually Fire and Blood. Yes. You know, yes. Yes. Martin yes. wrote that. It's a yes. beautiful story, but it's given as a form of a, like someone is recounting the tale. Yeah. House of Blood is allowing us to actually deep dive into the character motivations, what really happened with the characters. That was not, that is not really there in Fire and Blood. Uh, so that's what I was trying to do with Sons of Darkness, go into the characters that are considered evil 
because Mahabharata is also a religious text. Yes. It's the idea of good versus evil. So I wanted to go into the psyches of characters that were considered evil and approach that subject from there. Hmm. I hope you guys could hear me this time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Gaurav, if you don't mind me asking this, you know, you brought up this really nice, fascinating point of like, you know, connecting the Mahabharata to like the George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire, because that's the big, like, that's one of the foundational aspects of epic fantasy. But, for, you know, for now, this is, uh, this is a little bit tricky part, because, you know, like for a reader, like a South Asian reader, like you, me, we know the Mahabharata. But for somebody like, you know, Paul or Steve who are interested in it and, you know, who want to learn more, because, you know, like you just mentioned, it's the world's longest epic. That's, a, that's, that's amazing to hear. How would you or how did you even consider like, you know, that to get the Western readers or non-Eastern readers to be familiarized with it or to understand it? How did you kind of plan for it? Because this book is amazing, but it also has aspects of the Mahabharata, which Western readers might not know about. So how did you plan for them to kind of understand a text or at least a story which they didn't have access to before? So I think to draw the best comparison, what I tried to do was what Star Trek's director J.J. Abrams did when he tried to reboot the series and created an alternate dimension. So that new audience, you know, the, two, the millennial kids can actually go and watch this and not have the baggage or the legacy of all the shows that was there on TV. So that's what I want to do with Sons of Darkness as well, that it's a new world completely with characters taking their own journeys that, are not, that was not there in the original. So, I mean, it's amazing that Sons of Darkness can inspire other people to actually go and check out the original. Like the way I saw the Star Trek movie and I was interested in seeing what Captain Kirk actually does and who really Spock is and watch the shows. So maybe that's what will inspire. It will inspire people to actually go read the original Mahabharata. And even if it doesn't, it's still a window to Indian mythology, which will hopefully be the exotic new thing for them. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah. Bring in some desi masala and brown curry. <laughs> <laughs> Had a couple of comments. Uh, our friend Esme is here. Good Esme morning here. here. Good afternoon, Esme. Always great to hope you're feeling better. Uh, Anita is here. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming by. And our friend Layla is here. She has a question. Uh, did you feel a responsibility to accurately represent characters from the Mahapa, or did you creatively adjust their personalities? I just bought the ebook. Looks interesting. Hmm, that's that's a very good question. Let me think. <laughs> I think I had <laughs> a lodestone, as in there was this surface level um, plant, which is a reflection of the character in the Mahabharata. But the roots within it, I decided to like carve my own way and go into the character motivations and, you know, create something new. The liberties I took with is actually introducing new characters uh, so that from their eyes, we can see the events unfold. Uh, so that's something which I... Uh, took a liberty with but as for the characters itself uh yeah i definitely took a lot of cinematic liberties i did mihir can i think answer this better as a reader what did you feel about the characters and their deviations from the original book so this was actually a you know a great point which Gaurav brought up and it was really fun for me because you know uh, a person like you know, anybody who's read the Mahabharata knows you know what happens in the end you know who Krishna is who Karna is who Sishupal is you know and what they do and these are all POV characters in the book but the beauty of you know his book Gaurav's book is that you know when you when I was reading them I was like I was very excited because they were all placed in new situations yes the broad strokes were the were the same you know where Krishna who Krishna is where he's located his kingdom of you know, in which kingdom he's located where Sishupal is and what his background is. But they were interacting in newer ways. And so it was really fun because I was like, 
is this going to happen or is this not going to happen? And, uh, and you know, uh, like, it's, oh, actually, I shouldn't reveal it. It's a small spoiler because I wanted to reveal a small, smaller point of, like, how he deviated again from the epic, but never mind, that's a spoiler. So, so that, yeah, it was, it was a whole lot of fun. And I was, and eventually, the end twists were happening. Some, like, there's this minor obscure thing from the Mahabharata which occurred, which even I didn't, hadn't forgotten. And I actually had to look it up, like, did it actually occur that way? And it actually happens in the book. And that was like a war moment for me because I was like, how did he even connect that into from some small aspect and, and made it like a big focal point of the story. So yeah, I felt that like it was really amazing what you did, Garo. And of course, I've repeated this over and over again. Huge, huge, huge fanboy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. But Leila, you're right. I did feel like there was a certain responsibility, but I decided to shock it off like a cloak i was like it's okay i'm just going to deep dive because the original is so beautiful that if you if someone wants to really read that i mean i've written that in my author's note as well that the original is so amazing people can go read that i'm trying to do something which is different and collided with modern sensibilities for example one of the biggest changes that i've done is i love i'm sorry this is a cliche but i love badass warrior women okay mm-hmm. i mean i am Leonard Hostadder there. I, yeah. I love Battlestar Galactica. You know, that sort of a thing. But so I wanted to get the idea of women warriors into the Mahabharata world, which might not be an accurate reflection of the epic as it existed then. Uh, while princesses were indeed trained in the royal, uh, in, in uh, sword fighting and archery, etc., etc., but we do not have episodes of them actually engaging in battles. That is something which I have completely deviated from. Uh, you know, gone in the sort of a Malazan way where women and men are treated equally when it comes to actually fighting in the army. So that's something which I took a liberty mm. with, yes. And plus, uh, that's Lady Satyabhama in the cover. She is a major, major badass warrior in the book and uh, has a major, major, major pivotal moment. You know, I mean, not moment, many, many, many moments which lead to many things all throughout the you know story and the climax as well. Paul, you definitely got to read this book. I think you're really going to love it. Oh, I, I'm I'm so excited. I, I'm, I'm on a temporary book ban because of my oh. wife, because of, uh, <laughs> you know, the credit card has been, been rung up. But uh, I will. That will be one of the first books, believe me, that I buy, um, you know, in the new year. Um, mm-hmm. Gaurav, I'm just wondering. I mean, there are so many uh, amazing uh, Indian and Eastern fantasy authors. authors uh, you know, uh, Samit Basu uh, comes to mind. He's a wonderful gentleman. Um, you know, essay Chuck Barty, Sweta Tanija, Trepa, all these. Uh, why do you think that there was nothing? There was nothing. You said when you went looking for uh, for for uh, kind of a retelling of the Marbata, you didn't find it. Like, why do you think um, no, especially uh, Indian Eastern authors haven't approached uh, that? Is it because uh, the Marbata is so daunting? Um, and you know, I, and I guess it's it's a companion uh, uh, work, uh, the Ramayana. Like, is that is like is there a reason why you think um, it's never been done before? Like, or 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 has it that maybe uh, perhaps I'm not familiar with? Like, yeah, uh, actually, that's a great question. You know, I, that always bamboozled me because the concepts of fantasy which exists in our mythology are so great that when I started reading the Wheel of Time. I thought 98% of the magical concepts talk about say the male energy, the female energy, the whole concept of wheel of time itself 
was in fact inspired slash taken from our Hindu mythology. It's exactly like that. We have hmm. we believe in the age of reincarnation. We have something called Shakti, which is the female energy. The male energy is called Shaivi. So it felt very familiar to me, and I was not able to understand why have Indian authors not really approached this. I mean, it's kind of crazy that I'm the f- I think I am. That's what everyone tells, and that's what my editor claimed that I'm the first grimdark author from India, and it's amazing. Mm. But it's also bizarre that after so many years, it's 2022, and there's a grimdark author who's coming up for the first time from this country. I think there are three. Re- and you spoke also about other Indian authors. Now, okay, I'm going to deviate into two, three things. Okay, f- first is that it's we have to draw slight distinction between Indian authors and diaspora authors mm-hmm. because. um in that sense in terms of opportunities and the market that they have the publishers that they have uh it's there's a lot more things at their disposal in india uh, publishers have no experience with fantasy like i got lucky that three publishers accepted my book but they wanted to split my book into three parts because there is this apparent phobia of word count Hmm. you know and uh, so they were just not like they really liked the whole idea they liked the whole idea of the series but that would mean i have a five book plan that would mean 15 books of like 100000 words and they didn't understand the whole concept of epic fantasy the reason why a book becomes epic fantasy in my opinion is that it creates this immersive world experience and that can only happen when you dedicate some pages to it right you can't ch- and i had to chop off a lot of stuff so uh i guess lack of publisher support is definitely one thing why uh fantasy as a genre has not been explored within indian territory so let me start there and um, secondly if i'm trying to get spiritual and metaphysical about it a lot of our fantasy elements which are considered fanta- fantasy for readers outside india are considered religious for us you know are considered part of our own mythology so maybe no one is thinking of wrapping it in form of a story yet maybe i'm not sure there are a lot of authors who are trying to talk about our mythology like interestingly fantasy is a genre is somewhat dead in india but not mythological retellings mm-hmm. like books like song of achilles and circe we have a lot of their counterparts in india you have palace of illusions uh, there's this guy called amish who has mm-hmm. written on the uh, ramayan series and on shiva uh, i don't know if you know vaishnavi uh, who's an who wrote a book called kk that's suddenly doing a lot of rounds so that's again a rima yeah that book So that's also a reimagining of a character from Ramayana. So there's a lot of mythological retelling that is taking place, but not in the playground of a fantasy novel. I don't know the reason why, to be honest, because there are a lot of fantasy readers. When we do go to bookstores, you will find Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, you'll find Brandon Sanderson displayed in major window shelves. But I don't know why there are no Indian authors in them. So it's bizarre, but hopefully that will change. You know. So. And- Paul, just to add, to add a little bit more to what you said and what Gaurav said as well, you know. So before, and I'm just talking from my experience because this was back when I grew up in the 1990s and 2000s in early India. There actually were not even a lot of bookstores. Like you know, we I used to live in the city of Bombay, which is considered one of the big ones. There are very few bookstores, and when even you know the thriller and mystery genres were there, literary fiction was there, but the fantasy genre was almost non-existent. I can even remember a time before Dan Brown. You know, now everybody knows who Dan Brown is mm-hmm. with the Da Vinci Code. I remember reading his first book. Oh no, not first. The second book, Angels and Demons, and I was really excited because it seemed really fresh back then. But when I asked around for the authors, nobody like or for the bookstores, nobody knew Dan. They would offer me this another thriller writer called Dale Brown. I'm like, no, 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 not him, <laughs> Dan Brown. And they just gave me clueless looks. Uh, Robert Jordan was there. Uh, you know, I remember reading, getting his books, 
but like we didn't have a lot of and surprisingly we got a lot of books from the uk but not from the us so we had the english editions of terry brooks uh david gemmel uh, and Ari Salvatore, but not a lot of the U.S. authors. And again, to Devara's point, because you mentioned this couple of books, you know, The Palace of Illusions by Chitra B. Duvakaruni. It's a, it's technically a recent book in the sense that it's 2007, 2008. There's another author called Kavita Kane who has written a book about Karna's wife, who's also one of the POV characters from Gaurav's book. So I think a lot of authors are, and as Gaurav mentioned, like the tech, it is the longest epic in the world. So maybe people do get... It is daunting. Imagine, and 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 the and it's you know one way of Mahabharata is described as it's the ocean of stories. There is no central thread. There's multiple threads, and you can look at it from different angles, and it can become like a whole different story. So I think people take a few a portion of it and they focus on that, like the Palace of Illusions. It is totally and entirely from Draupadi, you know the the Pandava's wife, her viewpoint and her viewpoint only. Then there is this book called uh, Mrityunjay, which is called Death Conqueror, which I believe I had a copy over here, but it's from Karna's viewpoint and then a few other minor characters' viewpoint as well. So it's like it's kind of like that. And now, thankfully, I'm hoping, you know, with Gaurav's, after Gaurav's success, maybe more and more authors will get an opportunity to write what they wish to, you know, maybe please yeah. did not. I mean, I think all it takes is like a first step, you know, and if it turns out to be doing well, then other publishers look, okay, hey, this model is working out. We can... I mean, why is fantasy such a popular genre outside India? Why has nobody tried it here? You know, it's something like that. It's like when people see Facebook really working out and somebody decided to create a social media platform, which is similar to Facebook. Maybe, hopefully, it'll bring about that kind of change. Uh, so I don't know. Let's see. Hopefully, they will call me father of Indian grimdark fantasy. <laughs> 50 years <laughs> on the line. <laughs> that's the, I hope that's what comes about. But yeah, that's the plan. Have you guys like read, uh, like have any idea of the Indian mythology concepts? So I wanted to actually bring about one interesting point. I hope you guys don't mind. So no, when Mini was talking about how there are so many different variations of Mahabharata, India is a land of irony in that case. So Mahabharata was written like 3000 years back, but it was written text. It was actually written in, you know, leaves, parchments, you know, mm. it kept going. Despite it being written, you had thousand variations. In fact, there's a very popular quote that there is not, in, if you take a single state, there will be hundred versions of Mahabharata. Mahabharata is also considered a, a religious novel in, in Southeast Asia because of mm-hmm. ancient Hindu influence, because we had colonized that area long back. Um, in contrary to that, we have a holy text, which is called Rig Veda, which was translated, uh, which was transmitted through generations by a process called Shruti, which is oral tradition. Like it had to be learned by rote memory, you know, like the way we learn history dates in our exams in school, something like that. But imagine there were like around 3000 mantras. Mantras are basically small prayers, Hmm. uh, which you chant to invoke gods. And it was transmitted by telling them you have to memorize this. And each mantra had a specific physical sign to accompany it. And despite it being transmitted through the oral tradition, you would think that, all right, maybe you know, it will get lost in time or there might be slippage and India is a huge country. But you take a priest from the North India, South India, West India, East India, they will all recite it in the same manner in fact, despite passage of thousands of years. So through the oral tradition, they froze the, the Rig Veda. But despite being written, Mahabharata had like a thousand different variations. So it's weird. It's interesting. And that's why Mahabharata allows us, even writers right now, to take characters and you know reimagine them and put them in different roles hmm. so, yeah, there was a lot of information explosion <laughs> but i think that's like yeah that was a lot of fun 
a lot of people are obsessed over greek mythology and you know uh, homer and everything but uh, i wish the british had spent a lot more time exploring our history so that it would have been actually open to the entire world but hey it's never too late <laughs> yeah no that's that's really great information You're learning a lot uh, a couple comments uh, original work was written by sanskrit Mm-hmm. Even tell for some. I, start I think it's Tamil. Yeah, yeah, Tamil. They're saying Tamil. The M is missing. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, uh, Go China's here. Good Good evening. Good morning. Our friend Angie, the bookaholic, is here. Hey, Angie. Uh, Anita says, uh, there are some, there are, there are a lot of fantasy stories for kids in other Indian languages, but haven't been, haven't been much in India. In English, sorry, yeah. in English languages. Uh, original Marbhata was not is not written in English. Yeah. I mean, Sanskrit is considered the mother of all uh, languages. languages. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And for the historical context, there was a, 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 an Indian guy, Kisari Mohan Ganguly, who in the late nineteenth or early late eighteenth century actually translated the entire text, and his text is actually freely available online. Where mm-hmm. he the English version is like in in the form of verses because that's how the you know the Sanskrit version was where it'll talk about it each line will begin with oh great warrior son of this 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 like it won't get to the the main uh, main context until ten lines just proclaiming the heritage so it's it's kind of hard to read that but there are other authors who have kind of you know come condensed that into a much more readable version if anybody's mm-hmm. interested. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, Angie said I would love to see a completely new and fresh fantasy world bi- built. But not based on our mythology. Uh, there are many non-English authors who have shown their brilliance. English was introduced to India after 1696. Marabhata happened around 2500 BC. And Esme has read my mind. Uh, no worries oh. about the info dump. I'm loving this and learning a lot. Uh, Spectre, good morning. And Angie, yes, keep them coming. Love the info dump. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it's a friend... lot more appreciated on YouTube videos rather than in books. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, Taylor's okay. here. Uh, oh, I'm good that I can't be there on video at the moment, but I'm obsessed with with mythologies, and I love the particular beauty that comes from spoken word stories. They take on a life of their own. Oh yeah, and uh, another fun fact about this, you know, since Taylor mentioned this, like the Mahabharata, like Gaurav mentioned, has spread, you know, to Southeast Asia as well. So in Indonesia, if you go there, they have, you know, you know, all the Mahabharata characters, Arjuna, Krishna, Garuda, they are there as well. So if you look at, you know, the the main airline of the Indonesia, it's called Air Garuda. They have lots of these beautiful statues and stuff of like that as well. So yeah, you, and and they even have their own version of the Mahabharata, like you know, where there's minute differences here and there of how war, the, again the main story broadly is the same. But there are small differences, like they'll have Bhim's wife who played a major influence, but not so in the Indian version and stuff like that. So it's really fun to kind of discover, keep on discovering them. Yeah, it's just such a, for me as a reader, such a huge untapped, you know, limitless potential, right? With um, with Indian and Eastern fantasy, some of the best works, books I've, I've read all year, uh, uh, Sarah Frost. Thanks to mm-hmm. Steve, he got me on to, um, to Obsidian Awakening. P- please read that book. Beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, Middle Eastern inspired again. Um, uh, of course, uh, Gaurav, you did a, a, great, a great live with uh, Zanil Akhtar, amazing author, wonderful human being, and, and his gunmetal gods. Again, one of my favorite 
you know, his whole series now become one of my favorite series. Like, it's such such a a huge again, it's untapped potential. It's limitless. Like, and and I feel like it's it's the future going forward. Um, you know, seeing more diverse works of fantasy from not just medieval European inspired, but you know, from all over the world. And I think I think that's the future of fantasy, right? And as more and more authors such as yourself emerge, it's just going to add such a lushness to, you know, to to our reading, which which I'm just thoroughly uh, enjoying. I'm just loving, you know, almost like a, almost like a renaissance in. in fantasy, I mean, so. like I mean, that's beautifully put because now that you put it, I, I'm trying to think of English readers in US and UK, like uh, the Spanish Empire who's discovering the exoticness of the Indian market. And they are sending Vasco da Gama to find the roots to that place, you know. So I guess in that sense, fantasy itself is moving towards a non-European magic systems and worlds. I mean, uh, if you look at the success of Poppy War, uh, I think mm -hmm. that's like a shining example of how the world is thirsting for a non-European inspired fantasy series. Because it's, it's, that it's something new and something different. Uh, so yeah, hopefully that fantasy in that sense will become a lot more inclusive and diverse as this, you know, proceeds. And you had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, about other, about some, some books being like on a ban list or is, is that, was that part of the reason why we haven't seen more darker fantasy stories from, from India, from that part of the world? Does that contribute to maybe the lack of content we're getting there that hope to see more of? Um, I don't think, I would not go that far yet because um, this trend of banning or, you know, being very sensitive to any kind of liberties taken with literature is something which started very recently, like in the last five, six years. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't credit that to grimdark fantasy books not coming out. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of normal fiction works which are very dark and very uh, gritty and uh, there's a lot of violence in them. But no one's really explored the whole idea of magic system yet. I think that was something which was missing. Like even if we took, take the example of the books which Mihir cited, uh, Palace of Illusions by uh, Chitra Banerjee Devakurni. Uh, that retold the Mahabharatan perspective, but again, there was no magic, that concept of magic system involved. You know, uh, you spoke about S.H. Akurbati. Um, she's an Indian author, but the fantasy that she dealt with was Middle Eastern inspired, uh, not Indian. So in that sense, I think that's something which was missing for some reason. I haven't had a chance to read RRVD's first binding yet. But I've heard that that also is very interesting. I do not know if it is an Indian magic system or not. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but I think that's also something which is, you know, I'm sorry, I'm kind of deviating. And I hope I mean, this is a mm. conversation. So I'm just going to I talk about the first thing which we spoke about how certain books are becoming myths for the next generations. Like in a sense, Game of Thrones is sort of a mythology for me who I am now reinterpreting and putting it in the Mahabharatan world. And that just reminded me of first by name because I hope this is not controversial, but um, the name of the wind is so popular and it is a mythology of its own. And first binding in that sense is a sort of interesting using of those kind of techniques and trying to tell a new story. Um, because I think I, when I was just, when uh, Steve told me about the topic, I started, okay, let me just read about it. And I discovered somebody had made a chart about mythological influences and it said that it has to have three things one that it needs to be based on some ancient mythology stuff like harry potter for example is based on arthurian legend of this chosen one who comes to pick up stuff 
uh, in that sense sons of darkness is built on hindu legends and then there is something that it then it, it needs to be a fan fiction of a kind of an ex- existing mythological trend sons of darkness can be a fan fiction of mahabharata and in that sense even game of thrones uh, and in that sense the first binding can be a fan fiction please we they do not kill me for this but of the name of the wind uh, and a beautiful one and i love reading it because it again brings that sense of familiarity that i love the first story and i love what he's doing with this patrick leo said the same thing on his youtube channel that there are a lot of comparisons drawn between name of the wind and the first binding and he lo- he agrees with all of them but it was still such a fresh story that he loved that read loved the read so i think that's kind of interesting about mythology just not being something which is very ancient but also modern mythologies Hmm. something which i just thought of yeah wordy just as a little bit different thing like you know he while he he utilizes like the settings like he you know his magic system is not as like a hindu or based on hindu mythology the settings of his book are based on south asia but the okay. magic system is kind of like a little bit different it's like a it's like a mental system like you know the, the characters have to form these bindings in their minds and then kind of speak it and then you know the 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 magic happens it's kind of like that so it is it is a pretty cool system and i'm excited actually i and honestly i feel this is a better book than name of the wind like yeah. this this book is truly truly amazing and has like goro mentioned some similarities but i feel like that's like you know if you if it, that's like the hero's journey right like and it's like between right. if you compare star wars and aragon they're kind of similar because they both follow the whole hero's journey but they're not technically you can't call them yeah. rip off so it's kind of like that Yeah, and it's beautiful. I mean, that's why I think Thor is really pushing for it because they must have seen the value in that. I, I'm really looking forward to read this, especially because when you go on Amazon, it always says people have bought Sons of Darkness and First Binding together. You know, this is always a plus <laughs> sign. So I'm really happy with that team up. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I think for similar reasons, even my book has been comped with the uh, First Law series. I think that was one of the major. I think someone asked me right now that I think Leila asked that was there any responsibility when it comes to. Um, changing the characters from our ancient mythology and this is something which is very interesting and slightly controversial again uh, there's a character called shakuni in the original mahabharata who limps who's a cripple okay and he is this devious guy in the original epic who wants to bring down the empire i have a similar character in my book as well okay and suddenly i have you know i have this guilty pleasure slash torment of sometimes going and just checking out the good read reviews you know can't help it i'm just a human being at the end of the day and uh, and sometimes they see that comparisons which they say that it's based on that and i'm like that's not true i mean of course since glotka is such a beautiful character that it has become part of this modern mythology people don't know about shakuni right but people think that shakuni is completely based on glotka and but the journeys are completely different both patrick and mihir have said that in the review and but i get the i get it i understand but now um i i mean everyone's been watching the house of dragon that guy called laris he's also a guy who limps and he's devious so i'm sure there are going to be comparisons that that is picked up from glotka as well so i mean that's the part of i think power of modern mythology that i was talking about uh and hopefully that when they get through the pages they'll see that they take different journeys i'm sure uh, it echoes as well because i did tell me here and patrick that i'm sure in my mind when i'm talking about this guy who's a cripple and who's really devious i'm sure glotka entered my mind because that is such a memorable character but uh, yeah but there is this also this other character who was written 4000 years before glotka was born so yeah and i think that's why perhaps um you know taylor i didn't have a chance to finish watching it before the 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 broadcast but taylor for maybe peep to their pages our other uh, wonderful co-hosts 
who unfortunately couldn't join us live, uh, she just made a, a fascinating video about uh, fantasy, reading fantasy and diversity in fantasy. Mm -hmm. And about the importance in terms of I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to misquote uh, a lot of it was about one of the impetuses to do that was simply about learning and 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 so if you didn't realize that you know the Mahabharata was this one of the most ancient you know written texts anywhere and that it was it was it was it was made thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago you might you know. You know, you might think, okay, well, no, well, obviously, you know, yeah. this particular, this particular book is, this particular character is based on this book, but no, the Mahabharata far precedes this, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I think, I think it's just all part of our education, um, having all of these, like I said, these rich, uh, rich cultural um, experiences with, with reading now, reading all these these writers from all over the world, that it, it's it's educating us. In terms of you know, did you realize that this was out there? That this is is just as ancient as the Iliad or the Odyssey or do you know what I mean? Like you know, a lot of people don't aren't aware, right? And I think it's 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 important in our education as as people who love literature to to experience this. So thanks to writers like like Gurav, this is this is what it's doing. It we're learning, we're educating mm -hmm. ourselves. Um, so. I mean, I, I think as authors, our duty is to educate, entertain, and enchant. So I think uh, hopefully that works. Or what I'm going to do is, you know, when this video does go up, I'll carve out that section where I'm talking about this and just make a TikTok or a reel about it. Send <laughs> <laughs> out of the internet sphere that, hey. <laughs> this is the uh, Esme agrees. This sits nicely with Taylor's latest video about reading diversely. Yes, check that out, everyone. That was a very nice video. Yeah. Uh, Partha says uh, Southeast Asia also worships characters of Mamar. I'm going to mispronounce that. I'm sorry. Uh, Ramayana. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Which is older than the uh, Mother Heart. Yes. Sorry, I'm. I know I'm butchering all the all the words here. Apologies. Uh, Angie says, considering the twist that you have given your the MB characters, did you or did you fear backlash from a particular section of Indian readers? Oh, absolutely. My dad was petrified. He's like, listen, you will have to get security. We don't have that kind of money or influence in the society. And he was so worried when the book is going on. He told me to use a pseudonym. Don't use your real name. Or at least don't use the surname. Don't use my name. So uh, he was very worried. I'm like, it's okay. Let's see how it'll go out. And then so far, the reviews and reception have been very kind, even from the right-wing community. Um, so that's something which is very special. And he's happy that I'm not going to be pelted with stones on the street. So. <laughs> that is a real possibility in India. He's not joking. I'm not yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow, okay. that, is, that is not a figure of speech. That is a real possibility in India that you know you can get pelted with stones or your house can get pelted with stones. Because the Indian public, like you know, they they'll they allow it, you know, it it's it's on a different angle. Like they'll they'll if they love you, the Indian public will take you to you know that their hearts will be filled up for a bit. And the alternate is true. The opposite of love can also happen when they dislike you. They'll make it known in really, really wow. horrible ways. So yeah, in the religion is always a tricky subject, yeah. and uh, so but so far they have been really kind. So that's good because there's this very famous Harvard um, graduate. I mean, she's a big figure of authority on Hindus. It's her name is Wendy Doniger. She's an author okay. based in US, and she wrote a book called On Hinduism, which is a beautiful book, uh, and it was published by Penguin. But because of pressure, they pulped every single copy like three mm. years back. 
and that book has been in the market for the last 15 years so i have a copy of it but as i told you in the last four or five years uh the backlash against anything which they don't think is in consonance with our idea of religion uh should exist so you know cancel culture and all that so yeah wow what what is it so when it comes to depicting um deities religious figures okay. um, what is it that what is a writer i know for myself as a writer some of the, the the some of my favorite books I read. Sir, you mentioned uh, Circe, wonderful book, you know, uh, by Madeline Miller. Um, what is it in the treaties of how an author writes deities, uh, religious figures? You know, there's a, a one of the the big series on my on my TBR that I have to get, the Immortals of um, Malua, which again we're we're talking about about Hindu, uh, you know, you know, uh, dealing with 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 you know one of the most most famous Hindu gods, you know, Shiva, you know, what is it about how an author treats their writing and their depiction of religious figures? What is it that, what can an author do to uh, respect, um, you know, people's beliefs, how they, how they, how they uh, idolize that particular figure and, but yet, you know, maintain that, that realism to their own vision of what they interpret that could be. What is, what do you think an author can do to, you know, to, to keep to keep true to the vision, uh, treat treat that that you know understanding you know how many people look to that figure you know as as a deity and 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 respecting that. What can an author do? In that? All right. Uh, so um, I'll answer the question in three parts. I'm sorry, I'm going to start with a bit of an info dump. I hope that's okay. Um, so the Indian gods, just to like give like a one minute crash course, we had a pantheon which kind of permeated into the Greek culture, like every god we have in our um, pantheon which existed that back then has a corollary in the Greek pantheon. Like you, uh, the Greek pantheon has Zeus, we have Indra. They both were very lascivious people, lecherous gods who went after women. Indra was exactly the same. And similarly, we have like, a go like because around that time, gods were always uh, created around elements. Uh, of nature, you know, thunder, lightning, fire, sun, moon, etc., etc. We had a very similar concept, but over the years, the pantheon in in India was it kind of relegated to a secondary status, and the concept of three main gods came into picture. One is Shiva, who's called the destroyer. One is Vishnu, who's called the create uh, preserver, and one is Brahma, the creator. So you have the creator, the preserver, and and these three are still worshipped a lot right now. The in a way, the old pantheon, the Greek pantheon, uh, a corollary in India has been forgotten, which allowed me to like wreak havoc with their interpretation in my book because, hey, we are forgotten. <laughs> so uh, so that kind of allowed me. The, talking about what an author can do to respect, uh, hmm, the three, one thing is that, I mean, as an author, I just wrote for myself. I just want to read what I write. I really wasn't thinking from the perspective of, how readers will receive it as long as I was having fun with it. When I started proofreading it, all I wanted to ensure was that I am not being insensitive to something which needs protection in society, like a discriminated class. Because um, one thing which I've done in my book, so India had a very, like the UK world, I mean, the European world has a feudal system, right? Our system, which we had in it, and US had racism, <clears throat> right? Uh, India had something which is called a caste system. Our society was divided into four castes. 
and the idea initially was novel that whichever profession you choose you belong to that caste but then over the years the priests who used to be from the highest echelon of the caste made it a rigid system and it was like wherever you are born you cannot change your profession and the lowest caste used to it was really discriminated and really subjugated so i didn't want to uh, so that's why i've changed the name of the castes in my book like brahmins have become namins uh kshatriyas have become sharjas kshatriyas so, were the warrior class the brahmins were the priestly class so i've changed their names just so that i can imagine how uh, for the um subjugated community which has been subjugated over thousands of years it could be a sensitive thing like karna who is a major character in the book and who you know mihir and patrick they love uh is actually a low born uh, who low born who's considered from the lowest a character and he's a hero there's a hero's journey for him as well but i still did not want to because i know the his, historical baggage that exists and as personally i did not want to use the actual term the denigratory term which was used so i changed the name so these were the things which i did to ensure that like if i were that person i wouldn't be hurt but when it comes to dts yeah i think i went all out <laughs> i chose like hey i'm just enjoying myself so In fact, there's one thing funny which I did, and this was sort of an Easter egg. So one of the gods who's introduced to the starting, his name is Thorin Drazius. Okay, it's T H O R I N space Drazius. Uh, and I told me here a lot later on that it's actually if you put the words together, it's Thor, Indra, and Zeus. Their names amalgamation, who are the god of thunder in Norse, Greek, and Hindu mythology respectively. So all the devas are sort of named in this wacko fashion. <laughs> uh and also like you know uh you know just to add to your goros point you know pl like you know from a reader perspective because i'm not an author so i cannot speak for that perspective but like from a reader perspective like you mentioned amish tripathi you know the book what he has done is like you know, in, in india the one one thing which i want to highlight is that in hindu mythology it's 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 unlike abrahamic mythology where you know you cannot depict gods there is no there is nothing like that there is no statue there is no compulsion that you cannot depict gods you cannot the only thing the indian readers viewers or the in public expects is that you treat them with a modicum of respect you know you can make you can you can you can have them a comedic show that is okay but you cannot disrespect them so which is why and i'll bring a specific example i don't know if you all read dan simmons he has written a book you know which was set in kolkata the city and it's kind of like a horror book and in which he's mm-hmm. kind of come like he's kind of shown kali which is you know a, a goddess who's shown to be you know who's a little bit of a Uh, I don't want to say uh, warrior goddess, but she's kind of she has an angry side to her. And the eastern parts of India, they really respect you know the goddess Kali. It's 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 like a big thing. But Dan Simmons, the way he's written the book, again, totally speaking from a from a person who's read it, like when I, I can read it, I, I I was I understood what his call, what he was going with. But as an Indian, when you read it, it kind of it can be a little bit insulting the way he twists the myth of kali or the goddess kali into like you know and again not to appear spoilers it's it's a very weird thing what he does over there and i can easily see people taking offense at that like how dare you do that but at the same point to gaurav's book and to amish tripathi's book or to you know chitrabhi devakarni's book they have approached it as people who then became gods or who then became legends but then they didn't denigrate those personalities in any way so as to speak you know the even if you know gaurav writes about these gods and he this is not a spoiler the gods which he writes they are they are larger than life they are a little bit mean and they are a little bit just to say inhumane because they are you know they are not human after all but that is in line with what we have seen as a reader or what we have experienced as you know from a mythological perspective and that's okay that doesn't that's that's not offensive of course if anybody takes offense that's a whole different story and i don't think they're right but that's not offensive 
what Dan Simmons did in that book, it was a little bit offensive. Again, I'm not I'm not advocating banning his book or book burning anything. I'm just giving an example of what can be offensive to a reader from, especially from that you know who who has who comes from that area of the world. And another example of examples of books which are not offensive because they they do it in the right way. I mean, sorry, okay. I'll just build on that point again. Uh, it, it, like there are other books, but I'm not going to take names, but in the sense, I think it all Stuart, comes down to the f- fact that if it is done organically, feels like a part of the story and it's done and you're writing just for yourself rather than to prove a point, uh, it, it will read very well because there are books which have come out, again, retellings and reimaginings of our ancient tales. Where, see, for example, I wanted to have badass warrior women right because i don't know being a bit of sort of a feminist thing which is great i'm i mean well i'm self-praising myself fuck narcissism okay but uh there are uh, some authors uh, where the feminism became so forced that they turned very pivotal characters anti-women which they weren't so then that kind of turns a little offensive to readers who have not seen that ever happen for example okay let me try and give an example from the greek mythology perspective if someone writes a book where they say that Zeus took consent from every woman, that will not be believable to anybody, and that will that will people will have issue with that because that's not correct. Uh, so that's wrong. But so that, that's what I wanted to show that maybe I think the best way to respect readers is to when you're relying on source material, and even if it's change, if you're slightly changing it, if you're doing it organically and you're not trying to force feed an opinion, I think I think the readers understand that. Got a couple of comments here. Uh, Layla says, I agree, our modern books and shows are our myths. And her friend uh, John is here. Uh, late to this chat, I really enjoyed the book. Finished a week ago and still thinking about it. Thanks, Joanna. And uh, Layla says, yes, this reminds me of Edris Sabonowski's The Witcher. He has based his scenes and chapters European on European folktales, but the characters are different. Mm-hmm. They're symbolic but of the theme, but different. Was The Witcher uh, an influence for you, Gurav? I unfortunately haven't had a chance to read the books. I just watched the show. Uh, but I really want to have a Henry Cavill-like character in the, in the book. <laughs> that's something which I really want. But actually, that's an interesting point. Because uh, honestly, like if I read any, whatever fantasy books I've read, when you ask me what is the importance of cultural myths, I think one of the biggest importance that it has had is in giving all the monsters and creatures in our book. Mm-hmm. I mean, apart from Malazan, I don't think I've read books which have completely original monsters in that sense. You know, I've read a lot of books like, you know, there are dragons, which obviously come from our past. Uh, You have um, the Gorgons. I mean, take any creature which was mentioned in the Kings of the Wild, because, you know, that's like a fun book on uh, different kind of creatures from every kind of mythology. Uh, And all those characters are based in mythology and are part of different books. But very few books actually come out with completely new characters. Even Harry Potter universe, J.K. Rowling took a lot of effort in going around different cultures and having those characters from their mythology. Like if you look at the Forbidden Beasts movie, uh, uh, so in that, when they go to America, the Thunderbird, which comes, it's based on their Native American mythology. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I think that's one of the biggest contributions to mythology, to modern fantasy is uh, their zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Is. 
a special <laughs> shout out to uh, Dirk Ashton in his pattern astrology. He does the same thing. Like you know, he has. Yes, he, he has written a story where which combines all the world's mythologies and all the world's monsters as well. And the monsters are the main characters in in, in his books too. So if you if anybody has ever read those, those are really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Partha says I recommend uh, everyone to watch the English movie The Mahabharata by Peter Brooks in the late 1980s. You will enjoy it. Let's go check that out. Unpopular opinion: Don't watch that movie. No. Uh, no. <laughs> It's it. it's it, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. It's it's a very I don't even know what to call it. It's 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 not a movie in the classical sense of like you know how people are expecting it. It's more like a stage show which is then shot in cinema, and I don't know. Yeah. Give, give give it a, give it a shot and then see what it would. It's it, it, do not expect an accurate rendition of the original Mahabharata epic or because it's it won't excite you about the Mahabharata. Let me put it this way. I love how Mihir is just controlling himself from not using undiplomatic words. <laughs> but I think uh -huh. the best thing to do is just wait and petition HBO to turn Sons of Darkness into a series. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Uh, Taylor says, if you think about it, pretty much all character archetypes and stories have been done at this point. We've been telling stories for too long and to be to not be repeating ourselves a bit. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. It's all about throwing a fresh and inventive spin on, well, you know, I read about Atlantis. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I mean, how how many times has Atlantis been done, retold, or you know, reimagined? You know, um, you know, th there's there's nothing wrong yeah. with with you know, I, I, you know, sometimes in our pursuit of being trying to be innovative and original, you know, we forget that, as Taylor said, it's all been done before. We're just putting our spin on it, right? And and there's nothing wrong with that, um, you know. I think that's why grimdark as a genre has become popular because it is doing the same thing but from a different camera lens, so as to speak. So, I think that's the reason why it's become so popular. Well, that's why I love reading it. So, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And I, I have to ask. I know this question. Uh, it's a question we always ask whenever we have a, a grimdark author or reader on. But what is what does the term grimdark mean to you? Because everyone has a different, seems to have a different opinion on it. Okay, I will confess I copied this from Wikipedia because I read somewhere, but I think it's anti Tolkien. <laughs> I think that's the shortest summary of it. It's just that uh, because, I mean, I think everyone knows in their own hearts that nobody is divided into good and evil. Because everyone is just responding to the choices and everyone is a hero in their own story uh, or a villain in their own story. So uh, I think that's what Grimdark really does is that um, it just writes great characters and makes them respond to choices. Whether they're evil or not is so ambiguous mm -hmm. that it's not a line drawn in the sand. And I think that's what makes it so realistic. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's that's what Grimdark is for me. And of course, um, they do not shy away from uh, depiction of violence because uh, it is what is real, you know? Um, at this point, I'm just gonna like bring about this interesting, very bizarre fact that if you go and see, check on Goodreads, the reviews for A Game of Thrones, uh, the top five, three reviews are one-star ratings uh, because uh, they speak about why does it have to resort to violence and so on. And the fourth most liked uh, review is of Mark Lawrence, who says, I can't believe people are rating it one and that is so popular. And the reason is because of gratuitous display of violence and incest and uh, things that happen. Uh, and those reviewers had a problem saying that, yes, because George R. R. Martin has, when he, when he has defended these um, scenes, he has said, because that's what used to happen then. 
you know when we create fantasy there's a magical element yes but it's always rooted in reality and it's a depiction of the times then uh, but these guys said that you know since you're a writer you have the liberty to not show these scenes etc etc of course it's their choice is their prerogative but uh, um, i think that's what grimdark does it does not shy away from the reality yeah. and i think that's what is appealing to a lot of readers these days but i'm sure the cycle turns you know i think i was just i wrote this in some article because technically troy is grimdark i mean the iliad is grimdark mahabharata is very grimdark and um, even if you speak about ovid or dante's inferno yeah. they are all very grimdark books and that was the genre then you know black plague and etc etc after black plague you started having really noble kind of books like the narnias very moralistic lions so as to speak and i think the cycle like the wheel of time will keep turning grimdark will become the trend and then people will start inching towards books where they just want a cozy fantasy where a hero is right for right and you know i don't know that's my opinion right yeah that was excellently very succinctly said you know anti token i i i i totally concur grab i wrote a, a piece in a story the guide a great great writer influencer i, I actually guess we read a guest blog and that's what i essentially said about about grim dark grim dark that it was a backlash uh to 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 token and the more uh, sanitized um you know uh, high epic you know uh the heroes good looking perfect you know um it, it's i and i think the popularity of grimdark and steve did an amazing video on what is grimdark i recommend you all to check it out if you haven't um read it um i think as you just pointed out garav you we've almost already seen the pendulum swing back um you know the popularity of travis baldry and legends and lattes and all these cozy fantasies coming out because oh my gosh i read enough dark stuff now i'm traumatized i can't read anymore i have to go read something you know where nobody dies and and everything's you know everything's lovely um but we can have all of those we they can mm -hmm. coexist right we can have cozy fantasy love it we can love grim dark and gritty you know morally gray ambiguous characters and we can have you know more high epic you know more more um if you want to call it sanitized you know fantasy which doesn't perhaps depict the realism and the grittiness of the darkness we can it's all great literature right we can have them all and i think that's you know um we have to realize that um and appreciate all of them for their for their strengths and the things that they bring to the table and and i think as a reader you know everyone's taste is unique and we don't have to like everything you know but 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 we can potentially like a lot of different things right um you know which is you can watch a serial killer movie and then go to watch the secret world of pets yeah mm -hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> also yeah. hashtag #malasan <laughs> i was wondering where you going to mention me <laughs> <laughs> I'm outnumbered on this panel. See, I know I did, that. <laughs> I did just for, just because of you, because I love you. I didn't mention it, but I <laughs> I just think Gaurav brought up uh, Balazet first, so blame yes. him. <laughs> Wait, I don't know the context behind this. <laughs> so, uh, amidst this panel, Gaurav, uh, you know, Steve, Paul, and you—you're all the people who love Malazan. I'm the only person who's read Malazan's first five books and then decided that was not for me. I never recommend Malazan to anybody <laughs> just because it's not for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a bit of a running joke there about I'm always teasing here about Malice. So, yeah, I love. I mean, I've also just read six uh, books or five books rather, and uh, I don't know. I mean, Udinas. There's a character called Udinas. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the way Stephen Alexander wanted, and he is such a crybaby. I am like, and I'm at that place. I'm like, why does he keep crying all the time? But um, uh, Philip Chase, then 
I think wrote said something as to why that character is so important. And in fact, Steven Erickson loves that character, and it's amazing. That's what I was trying to show that there's so many reader perspectives that exist. Uh, and I think Marathon is just a beautiful world. And but I'm going to confess again that when I read the first book, Gardens of the Moon, I had to wiki the magic system because I was not understanding what's happening. And then there was this nice thing on the Warrens, and I understood what Tata Seal was trying to do. And yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> we did pretty good. Uh, like I really enjoyed reading the book. Very interesting. Once you start reading, you cannot stop yourself from reading it up to the last page. I will, re I will recommend others to read. You know, looking at all the surnames, I think my dad has just broadcasted it to all his friends. Every time I see the surname, I'm like, could you at least change the surname? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Indian family system. <laughs> uh, Bad is Radis here. Good morning. It is early. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and he says, I'm only 150 pages into the book. Haven't met Karma yet. He is my favorite character from the Mahabharata, so I'm excited to see how Gurav portrayed him. Anita, you're going to love him. He is exactly, he, Gaurav has written it exactly the way Akarna was in the original epic, and it's fantastic. Yeah, that's the one character I did not take any liberties with because the original character itself is so bloody amazing. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you love anti-heroes or if you love people, you know, conflicted heroes or if you love heroes who have to, you know, who strive to be heroic in spite of the world and everything being against him, that's Karna in a, in a literal nutshell. So, if you all like, you know... He's my Jon Snow. <laughs> but, but much cooler than Jon Snow as well. <laughs> You know, Mahir, sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Steve. No, I, when I was, before the book was published, I actually uh, made this rap video, epic rap battle video between Jon Snow versus Karna and called it the Battle of the Bastards. <laughs> I have seen that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. That's a great idea. That's a great oh, idea. I'm going to see that. <laughs> You're going to look at that now. No, please uh, don't. Then you will not read my book. <laughs> no, no, please oh, I also saw uh, Bashima's name in the glossary, another favorite character of mine. Can't wait to continue. And Karma is my favorite too. Okay, we nailed it. Uh, Layla says, uh, regarding the film, the Mahabharata, it is probably like so many other film adaptations. They are rarely as good as the original, but it can inspire us to read the literature. I mean, you know, I... Brad Pitt's Troy did that for me, though, for definitely Greek mythology, because that movie, I, I mean, I know that a lot of people had a problem with that movie because they completely eliminated the idea of gods and, you know, the political intrigue. But he was so cool as Achilles yeah. Yeah. that just, uh, I then I got introduced to Cersei's Song of Achilles and then Stephen Fry's Mythos series and it was just an endless pool. It was amazing. Mm. I completely agree with you, Leila. Mm. Uh, Joanna says, I loved Karma's introduction. He's a fantastic character. Thanks, Joanna. Our friend Bo is here. I think Cozy Fantasy is popular oh. right now because the pandemic was like living in Grim Dark Story <laughs> during the thick of it. Yeah. What does everyone think about that? Is that part of, of why Cozy Fantasy and lighter stories are kind mm -hmm. of gaining mm -hmm. popularity now? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, believe, I believe that, you know, I don't. We weren't ready for the slice of 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 reality that mm -hmm. that we received during the pandemic, and because for most of us we've never lived through a pandemic, um, people who had been born, uh, you know, approximately 30, 40 years before, 
Uh, so people in our night, they understand what that looks like um, and the horrors of it. We were the first, uh, you know, of, of, of this generation. I talk about people born sometime around 1970 and, and later, um, you know, so uh, I, I feel that, you know, as much as, uh, again, the, the trend we talked about Grimdark and why people were we're looking to read grimdark as opposed to you know the more you know idealized heroic fantasy you know um i think at the same time in the midst of loving grimdark then we had our own real grimdark reality confront us and that was a bit too much and then we started saying okay well you know what maybe you know um with everything that's going on right now you know my sick parents and worrying about you know my elderly parents in a nursing home are they going to get covid um you know my child you know cooped up not being able to go to school and you know, I have to work from home and all these other things going on. Um, you know, I think, yeah, we, we definitely may have turned to, you know, um, something a bit lighter, lighter, more uplifting fare. And it's not that Grimdark is without hope. I, I, mm -hmm. I certainly don't feel that Grimdark books are, there's an absence or a dearth of hope. Absolutely. A lot of Grimdark books definitely have a, a vein of, of, of hope shining through them, right? It's just that to get there, you have to go through a lot of grime, uh, you know, so... Um, I mean, the finest lotuses are found in the you know worst lakes, so it's yeah. something like that. They always grow in mud. Yeah, wow. I completely agree. I mean, Terry Pratchett really helped me through the pandemic. I mean, his books are so light and cozy. I really want to read um, Travis Baldry's uh, uh, cover. The original cover was beautiful. The two, uh, you know, orcs the ogre, are, yeah. yeah. To yeah, draw a historic, historic parallel, you know. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien went through the First World War and the Second World War when he started writing The Lord of the Rings. So, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, after seeing the horrors of the war, he wrote this ultra-heroic, you know, um, traditionalist fantasy. And right now, I think, you know, and to Paul's point, I think you can only read Grimdark when things are going right in your world. You know, when things are going right in your world, you know, when you're in a good mental space, you can face the horrors of the book. But when things are absolutely horrendous around you, you don't want to be surrounded by... I mean, you don't want to dive into a book where horrible things are happening on the page, which is why I think cozy fantasy is coming up even more right now because the writers who perhaps, you know, were just in horrible minds because they were like, they want to go set up in... They want to write in worlds which at least offer some semblance of peace or semblance of, like, honor or dignity, which is why I think now we'll have a lot more cozy fantasy. Did you all see this book called uh, The Book of Zog by Alec Hudson? It's a Lovecraftian cozy fantasy. Hmm. And it works. It's like truly the main character is a old one, but it's not old. It's a new old one. And it's his name is Zogrus. And he's led into this universe. And it's, it's actually a cozy fantasy. And it works really nicely. So if you haven't read it, check it out. The, this is the absolute limits of cozy fantasy when you have a Lovecraftian old one as a main character. And it's cozy fantasy. That's a good comp. But you know, on that note, uh, you know, when the pandemic did start and was on its peak, if you notice, uh, at least on my Instagram suggestions and Amazon suggestions, pandemic-related books on plague, they became very popular as well. Like World War Z suddenly hit the charts again, and uh, uh, the movie was the very bad adaptation adaptation of the book, but it became very popular again. So uh, I guess there are so many kinds of readers, as uh, Stuart so beautifully put, that it's a huge space where we all coexist. Because while I definitely went for Terry Pratchett during the pandemic, a lot of people decided to read a, about a zombie plague while in the middle of a plague. So uh, it's amazing, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, Joanna says, I love Malazan, but I don't recommend it to everyone. <laughs> Joanna, I love your videos with Philip and, uh, uh, you know, like 
fantastic dragon critic sorry i, I think i'm getting the critical AP, dragon uh, ap Kenavan. ap Kenavan, yeah wonderful yes yeah, he's, he's amazing great. he's amazing yeah. yeah so is joanna joanna is is, is mm -hmm. wonderful and Philip has this traditional that look which he carries, right, with the blazer and a professor. thing from Dan Brown, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. The only thing missing yeah. is like a Mickey Mouse watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremiah says Krishna was the first superhero. I think Ram was the first superhero. <laughs> or Rawan, if you really want to twist it up. Uh, so this is a bit of a different topic, but Grev's cover absolutely, absolutely yeah. slaps. And I was wondering yeah. how he snagged yeah. that fantastic art. Oh, this is a fun story. So, uh, okay, so basically my publisher is very small and very indie. Their budget is was almost next to nothing for the cover. But, I mean, I know there's a cliche quote that which says that um, we don't judge a book by its cover, which is fair. But a good cover is a window into a book, because especially when you have such mm -hmm. beautiful, amazing books everywhere. Uh, it really helps. Uh, yeah, the covers. Boss <laughs> cover. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I really want, and at that point of time, interestingly, I saw S.A. Chakraborty's book, because that time I was trying to look for Indian fantasy authors, mm. and I came across S.A. Chakraborty, and I really loved her book covers. And from there, I researched a lot into who's designed it. And I found Michaela, and luckily she had gone, gone freelance around that point of time. Uh, so I reached out to her, and you know, she was so kind to like take this project on. Uh, and yeah. And I'm glad that cover turned out to be what it is. It was, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And it's so pretty. You know, at some point in time, you know how books have to put reviews on the front. Like almost every book has that. You have a review in the front. Mm -hmm. I can't disturb this cover because it is so perfect. <laughs> I do not know where to put it. I think I'll have to take out my own name to put my review somewhere. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just it's beautiful. I keep obsessing over it and you know trying to take like Instagramish pictures for the book, so it's a lot of fun. Hey, maybe a hardcover special edition might with a yeah. different cover mm -hmm. might be there might be some space over there, so keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed. fingers crossed. I think that's why it's that's different. Great. I think uh, I don't know if you guys know. I mean, he knows this that in India, hardbacks are is rare. Uh, mm -hmm. If you sell a million and million copies, that's when the publisher decides to go for a hardcover, which is very different outside. Like in the sense, everyone goes for hardcover first, and maybe then you have like mm -hmm. people back on the side. So I'm hoping that Sons of Darkness, like you know, manages to reach a place where it, you know, it's available in hardback as well. In fact, a lot of the readers, like there was a read from Slovenia, there's someone from US who reached out to me personally and asked me if I can courier them the book uh, from India because they wanted the colored edition, and I was like, I was very happy to do that. And yeah, that was mm -hmm. fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And Anita is a fan of Legends and Lattes. Uh, Taylor says, bad pandemic romances really took <laughs> off, for better or worse. Kissing the coronavirus was a big one. Yeah. I think there's a book title called Love in the Time of Corona. I mean, which mm, was like a rip yeah. of Love in the Time of Cholera. Cholera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to the author for thinking of that and being the yeah. first one to put it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Capitalize, I guess. Uh, Jeremiah says, I feel the same way, same about Baker, like his books, but I don't know many people who would like it, so I don't recommend it. I love Baker. I love Baker. Yeah, I, I, love, I really like his stuff. But yeah. I, would you say, Paul, that there's almost like no hope in, in Baker or Backer's books, right? Like it's it's one of the bleakest books out there. <laughs> Literally one of the bleakest, bleakest books out there. And I, I'm saying this as a person who likes ba Baker. I'm not like, uh, you know, he's, he's truly, what he has done is fantastic, but. His books are hard on the brain as well. You can only like I don't think you can read them back to back to back. They make at least they make my brain hurt. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. Here, I loved it. I've only read the first book, but I found it extremely dark. Um, mm -hmm. As as not quite as complex to understand initially as Malazan, mm -hmm. um, and initially I liked his the first book um, better than I did Gardens of the Moon. So mm -hmm. uh, series wise, but I've read more of of, of Erickson now, so I'm really getting into it. But um, yeah, extremely nihilistic, very very brutally dark eyes steve you you've read like i i i took a pause on purpose from yes as much as i loved it i, I like me here like you i loved the first book but i actually said oh you know what i'm gonna i'll come back to that and i'll have to take breaks between uh no, I mean, that's why now we have sub sub genres even of the grimdark world like you have bleak mm -hmm. grimdark there's something which i wrote which i i think i saw it in patrick's review it's called filthy grimdark which is yeah. michael fletcher's yeah. first book but i'm reading out like this man is so demented, but he's a sweet guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, don't want to be trapped in the same room as you ever. Like the things you can conjure of it. And my book is epic grimdark, and there's just so many different kinds of grimdark also that's coming into picture. So that's that's fun. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Gaurav. There's all these different uh, subgenres within. You know, people refer to my books as moral grimdark because mm. you know what the the topics I um, delve into: racism, colonialism. You know. Um, you know, homophobia, you know, things like that. And, but when we look at books that are bleak, um, you know, I think the one thing that we have to realize too is that um, a lot of times we read books that are bleak because there's a sense of catharsis. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, we're just like, oh my gosh, well, I thought what I was going through was bad. <laughs> well, what this character is going through is much worse. Or, or it helps us understand some of our own trauma because we see some of these summer experiences that, that these these fictional characters have gone through that that we can relate to and there's all kinds of reasons why we i think why we we we, we really cling to to grimdark but um you know i i i do love a book that has compelling themes right and grimdark typically explores compelling themes and and i don't it's hard to hook me as a reader unless you're discussing issues that that really grasp me to grab me so you know and that's why I, i'm so looking forward to your book um mm -hmm. you know grab that i know it's going to just i can just see it's going to grab me but one question i did have for you uh quickly grub how have you felt about all this initial success like you know your book is everywhere everyone wants to buy it it's 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 really blown up like how are you how are you uh how are you feeling about the initial uh success that you've enjoyed so far i think i feel like cinderella would have in the shoe fit you know, it's just, uh, I, I, when I wrote the book, it was mostly to get fantasy to Indian readers because there was no fantasy book here. Um, and again, it was a small publisher too. I had to do a lot of legwork and I did a lot of research. But when, you know, initially the ball got uh, set rolling was because of me. He did a cover reveal, the Q&A, and that kind of sent the book out there to people like, okay, hey, there's a book like this. And... Um, and then slowly and slowly people started buying it and then Patrick's review came in and then it again somersaulted on Goodreads, the TBR list. Uh, it's still unbelievable the fact that this book is doing well, so well outside India. And I mean, so far when I just asked the stats from my publisher that the book has sold a lot more outside India than inside so far. Mm. And uh, so that's something which is unreal. And I'm really happy that because of this book, if there's one thing I can really claim success to is because of this book, Indian readers know there's something called grimdark, you know, and it's 
and it's a cool name that's a, it's, a, it's like i know this dark fantasy and this grim dark they both mean the same thing but grim dark has this cool you know biker vibe to it so i think uh, that's what people are finding out and uh, they're discussing okay this is fantasy when i speak about the fact that this is based on a song of ice and fire and the malazan series and the first law series it's taking them to those books because i think this genre can grow together as a whole not just because of this one book uh, so when they start reading this maybe they watch this video and hear us talking about legends and lattes and or a terry pratchett they might go to those books but that way the fantasy books will start circulating in the indian book market and you know this genre will finally come back to what i believe is its birthplace hmm. uh, either said i want that copy from india that's why, why i'm reading the ebook now my friend will bring that copy from india in a couple of months i live in canada now Oh, you're living in Canada, Anita? Oh, where? Oh my gosh! Always get excited when I when I when I your fellow fellow Canadians. Yeah, and speaking of Fletcher, he's Canadian too. So yes, watch out, yeah, watch yeah. out for those yeah. Canadians. Yes, yeah, we're yeah, we're Davis. <laughs> and Backer as well, right? Backer's Backer's Canadian. Canadian. So is Erickson. Erickson yes. is Canadian. There's a Canadian yeah. guy. guy and this does not line up with any of the jokes that Ryan Reynolds cracks on uh, uh, Canadians, right? Like they're all so docile and so nice and <laughs> such good-natured people. <laughs> yeah, pleasant. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah says I like that there is a reaction to Grimdark. Some are calling it Hope Punk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Esme says us readers really love to come up with new boxes to put our books <laughs> yes, in. Yes, we do. True. Can't. Yeah, can't confirm. Uh, Ethan says. Oh, Toronto, fantastic! Nearby me, so only three, three and a half hours away. So I was born and raised in Toronto. So love Toronto. Oh, cool. <laughs> So I get the feeling we can talk for hours, but I know all of us oh, yeah. have have, uh, have lives to live. But uh, Guru, there's a question I like to ask all the all the guests: is uh, what was your first job? Well, my first job I was lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, I think I started writing this. We have a concept which is called Day Zero. Like in our final year, on the first day, we get placed with different law firms, and uh, I got lucky and I got placed in the first day. And so that suddenly, like, I had a lot of time then. Uh, because I didn't have to like go for internships and try and look for jobs, and I just thought, okay, hey, why don't I use my time productively? And I wrote the first chapter of Sons of Darkness, and then I started balancing that with a law firm job. Whatever the show about lawyers on TV, it's not as glamorous. It's definitely more hardworking than that. So it was a little difficult, but it was a lot of fun. So this book took four years, and uh, but yeah, I was a lawyer throughout, and I hope to continue to be. Just taking a, I have the bucket list that before I turn thirty, I'll take a one year off, and luckily that coincided with the release of this book uh so that's fun and uh, you know i'm trying to experiment with different professions right now yeah. nice awesome Goro, should we should we keep an eye out for you for india's next comic or the next season of india's <laughs> comic or something like that oh i will definitely get banned then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that don't do that <laughs> <laughs> But I uh, wanted to thank everyone for, for coming by. Gurav, it's been a pleasure. I've learned so much from just this really short conversation. So thank you so much for uh, for coming by to visit with us. Uh, where can people find you in your work? Where was your social media platform of choice? Okay, so this is the fun and embarrassing portion. My Instagram handle is the king beyond the wall. I didn't <laughs> want to change it. I kept it like years ago. So when people ask me, is, is Game of Thrones something that really influenced you? I'm like, yeah, my IG handle is still the king beyond the wall. <laughs> Uh, so that's that. Uh, and my Twitter is uh, Mohanty Gaurav. 
number seven because like Voldemort, I believe in that magical power number. <laughs> and uh, I mean, or you can find my email address on my website, www.gauramohanty.com, which I created after a lot of painstaking YouTube tutorials. It was horrible, but I think it looks pretty now. So go check it yeah. out. It looks really good. Yeah, it was the other thing. It looks really good. So well, job all done on that. Yeah, so, <laughs> and all those, that link is down below in the description and will be in the podcast too. So anyone looking to uh, to connect and check out Grove's work. Uh, PL, where's a good place for people to find you? Uh, well, typically beside you and Taylor mm -hmm. uh, on Pace June on your channel or Taylor's channel. Um, I'm also an assistant editor and blogger with Before Go Blog, as Steve is, uh, led by the wonderful Beth Tabler, who's also a lead on Grimbar Magazine. She is. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can find things about my books and and, and me uh, also on my website, www.plstore.com, where you can find about John King and Saga, uh, the two books out, Lord and King, and the last, sorry, Lord and King coming out uh, this coming year in spring, hopefully, and uh, the two books that are right now are John Kingdom and the last of the Atalantians. And um, also uh, reviews on Goodreads. I love to read and review books. It's my passion, can't read, can't wait to get to uh, Sons of Darkness very high on my TBR. Um, yeah, and you know, just my DMs are open. Twitter's my preferred social media platform. I'm, you know, open, DMs are open. So you want to talk about reading, writing, et cetera, business related stuff, just send me a DM and love engaging with people in the community. So thank you so much again, Steve, for having me. On yeah, this, well, uh, thank you for, for coming. And uh, Mihir, where can people find you and bother you? Oh, uh, well, I'm part of a wonderful team at uh, fantasybookcritic.blogspot.com. Uh, it's made up of Lucas, Caitlin, Daniel, Shazzy, Matthew, and me. Uh, and we can, you can always email us from our, you know, our website link, but also on Twitter at fantasybookcritic. Um, you know, I also hang out at uh, Steve's forums, website forums as well. And uh, yeah, just bug me anywhere. Uh, happy to chat about books and happy to champion other books as well in the traditional publisher fantasy. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for coming by. Also, everyone in the chat, uh, it was great interaction. It's always it always adds to the conversation when we have active people in the chat asking questions. So, go check out the book and uh, thanks again, everyone, for coming by. Hope to see everyone soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Thank, Bye, everyone. You. Thank you.